0: I think you know with any kind of big decisions or where we go to something forms and it you know it kind of grows over time but it also gets shaped by the realities you know both our personal professional realities for me the first time i think um, it struck me, the law aspect of it was really when my dad had an accident in Nigeria. And I think it was the first time I saw the limitations of the health and legal systems.
1: That was Susmita Mitasina talking about the importance of health law. You're listening to Casting the Network. David Smith and Hitta Each episode, we'll be talking to a guest to bring you stories, knowledge, skills, and research that center around healthcare education. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy it. Casting the Network is powered by Lecturio, a global leader in digital medical education. Lecturio believes it's time to teach evidence-based medicine in an evidence-based manner. It provides the content and digital platform to enable learning, science-based medical education delivery. Lecturio works with any curriculum or mix of learning formats. To find out more, visit lecturio.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Casting the Network. I'm joined again by my co-host and Meetha.
2: Hi everybody, it's really nice to speak to everyone again.
1: And today we're joined by a very special guest, um, Susmita Sina who is a pharmacist and lawyer. Her professional experience has taken her from academic to researcher, advocate to volunteer, service provider, and now as a health and human rights lawyer as founder and president of the Health Law Institute in Geneva. A very warm welcome to you, Suz Mitter.
0: Thank you for having me here, David, and it's great meeting both of you, at least (laughs) e-meeting in these conditions.
1: Yeah, It's a pleasure to have you on as well. Um, We thought we'd start off uh, with a very broad and possibly very difficult question. The world of law can be very scary to a number of people, even if you happen to be on the right side of it. So to start with, we wondered if you could tell us um, a short background of what house law is.
0: Huh. That's, I think that's always such a broad and difficult question. You know, I think when people think of health law, you think of like federal laws, state laws, you know, local laws, and how this affects providers, payers, or vendors, or even in the healthcare industry it's how its relation is to patients where you have like, you know, medical malpractice, but even the delivery of healthcare service. So I think it's really broad in that sense on what it covers. And that was one of the things when I started law was like, where does it fit in? And w- what is it you do? I think very few people think of the rights of workers as part of health law. But that's what I think my interest has always been.
2: So do you think um, that you've always had this interest? Or, or has it been something that's evolved throughout the years?
0: I think, you know, with any kind of big decisions or where we go to something forms and it, you know, it kind of grows over time, but it also gets shaped by the realities. you know both our personal professional realities for me, the first time I think, um, it struck me the law aspect of it was really when my dad had an accident in Nigeria. And I think it was the first time I saw the limitations of the health and legal systems. I was teaching at that time, and I think that was the first time it came into my mind. I had already experienced some of the working condition issues while as a pharmacy student in Nigeria. And it was really later on when I moved to the US, some of the things that struck me I was a migrant health worker. So you see the realities of practice practicing through that i the lens of that i volunteered for free clinics and it was really in a lot of underserved populations so you see the lack of access to you know healthcare in underserved communities and then also just the experiences were different. Some of the things, as you know, many of you, Hiten, you're a pharmacist, so you would know that in the U.S., I at least when I was practicing as a community pharmacist, we didn't have a lunch break. You would just record to eat sometime be- during your shift, and some shifts could go on for you know for. 12 hours as well. Or at the time, you know, when I came to the U.S., the reason I was sponsored, there was a shortage of pharmacists. And sometimes you'd have to pick up extra shifts and you could do a work for 14 hours and not have lunch. I also experienced a lot of pharmacists who were, you know, pregnant and they would not be able to take this lunch breaks so or even just going to the bathrooms because the way pharmacies are designed is like you really have to walk across all the patients and go for lunch. So I think there were many things that you start seeing. So it was, you know, all these things together that made me feel that I wanted to be part of that policy change to make, you know, all this, things, the challenges that health workers face to bring it to light. So it was a combination of the two of those. Mm,
1: That brings us nicely on to our next question, actually, which was, why do you believe that legal awareness is so important for healthcare professionals?
0: I think that's to me, that's been the crux of it, you know, even as a practitioner moving into be a lawyer and, you know, moving into international law and all these other aspects, we keep talking about a bottom up approach. You know, we keep talking about where we should have stakeholder engagements, where we should have people making policies that really understand the implications of those policies and leave the day to day realities. But unfortunately, what happens, I think practitioners remain practitioners, policymakers remain policymakers, and there's almost this disconnect and working in silos, and, and that's where I think the legal awareness really comes in. It's it's for, you know, health workers to understand many of the ways policies are shaped to really be able to contribute to them. You know, the two things I think when we started Health Law Institute, the two main things we focus on is one is the dignity of the health worker, is health workers for health system strengthening, and really having a seat at that table. And I think you can't have a seat unless you're really aware of what your rights are. And on the extreme end, it's, Um, Also, when you understand this rights, Are there systems in place in your organization to bring it to light? So whether it's whistleblower protections, whether it's systems to really collate this data, because sometimes, you know, this is true, like, especially for many of us that have lived experiences, if you do not have data to back it up, it almost feels like this is in your mind and you don't know what's happening. And I think legal awareness really brings that all together and makes us, you know, health workers and all of us that advocate for them to really be able to make the change that we can. So
2: clearly you've got a real keen interest in the legal aspects of things and you managed to bring both aspects together by understanding the healthcare side of things and now the law as well. And was this the primary reason why you established the Health Law Institute?
0: I believe this was one of the reasons. When I started off, just like many of us that are practitioners, I think our main concern is patient safety. Our main concern is universal access to healthcare. And as anybody else, that's where I started off, especially given, you know, my personal thing with my dad's experience with underserved communities. So when I my first assignment in you know, the first summer in law school, I was at the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights. I worked a lot on women, health and rights. So sexual and reproductive rights. And one of the things that really struck me was we need health workers to be more engaged. And, you know, at, at that time, a lot of things was like the people centered care. So how do really health workers help patients to feel that? How do we do it? How can we put prejudices aside to provide people the care, the need? So that's where I think I started off. So when I started brainstorming about that, it, it was really called Human Rights, right? Uh, Education for health workers. So I think that's where my starting point was. And then my next assignment when it was at the World Health Organization, we were doing a piece on, um, it was between UNAIDS AIDS and WHO, and it was called a zero discrimination in healthcare setting. It was at this point when I was trying to say that what the part of what we need to put in is what health workers face, that it's not only discrimination abuse patients face in the health system, health workers themselves face it, not only from their colleagues or from their you know employers, but even from patients themselves. And I noticed there was a resistance to that idea. And I think from a human rights lens and people who work in human rights thing, it's a very black and white thing where you see health workers as perpetrators of many of these you know discriminations that happen but not but then also seeing them as victims almost makes it a very gray area and it's hard for people to say, OK, you're you're a perpetrator, but you're also victim. So how do we now look at it? Right. And I felt that was the thing. And, and that was the point. I think I became very sure that this is what we're missing. I hear a lot of people who tell me, oh, but in Nigeria, like you know, I grew up in Nigeria. That's where I do my pharmacy school. And whenever I talk to people, it'd be like, but, you know, I hear there's a lot of corruption. I hear health workers, you know, taking salaries they shouldn't and and i think that was the thing i was like one of the pieces of the puzzles you're missing that this happens because there's a system failure. And yes, it's true. There's always, I think, bad apples in every profession. But the reason we have these bad apples is because we are not able to enforce regulations that should be in place. But in the basic thing, if we cannot afford rights to our health workers, we can't you know, have all these responsibilities. And I think that was a defining moment when I was like, you know, I don't think that there is a rights organization that caters just to health workers. Worker rights and really, you know, starts off from that point and tries to change the system. So I think that was really the main motivation behind it was to be that organization where we get to patient safety by understanding that we need to protect our health workers. And that's only when we can really have a sustainable healthcare system
2: it sounds like you you've managed to pull a lot of experience from a lot of different places together as well there from nigeria to your your places in your europe and then coming over to the us as well and all of that has come together to to create a real kind of holistic view on healthcare and health law and how that can help not only patients but then also the people that are providing that care and without looking after those people that are providing the care clearly the patients are going to suffer uh, and and that's something that it's a real real big thing that you you're doing there. It's a, it's a great great thing that you're doing
0: you know i think that's one of the points people missed when i started it i i kind of got a lot of pushback in the sense that You know, people will be like, oh, who are you really talking about? I think when I started talking, people thought I would get to saying, oh, looking for patients. Because you look at a class of people, at least, you know, there are many categories, I realize, but health workers generally are viewed as an educated category. They're viewed as somebody who earns well. And I think many people can understand what are you fighting for rights for people who are educated and earn well? They're already compensated. I think that was one of the reactions I got or I got reactions was like, oh, so are you going to work in the global south? Is this a problem that you see in the global south? And I had to tell them that, you know, I have been a health worker in the global south and in the global north. And I can tell you that, you know, issues exist everywhere. And in a way, like, you know, for the Health Law Institute, our plan was we start with the research and awareness building because I realized this resistance or almost like people didn't see the thing and then move on to advocacy and change. And in, uh, you know, the pandemic has been a very unfortunate thing in many ways, but what it really did, it helped build awareness raising. I think we were trying to get through to people really saw many of the things we were talking. I You know, a year ago, if I mentioned PPE and, you know, health workers not having PPE, people be like, what's PPE? (laughs) And now I don't think you even have to explain it. We have seen the sacrifices health workers have made during this pandemic to kind of bring to light all the things, you know, I was talking about. So you're right. I think that was always a hard sell at the beginning and people didn't get it. And now it's something that's very evident that we do need it.
1: Mm, I agree, I mean for sure, and and certainly the the current crisis, as you mentioned, has, has only gone to highlight this issue and the pressures that health workforce and the health workers themselves find themselves under when they are primarily focused on patient care. One thing that I think would be really interesting to just briefly touch upon from your own experiences. Can you give us an idea of what your own work life looks like at the moment? Because obviously, there are a lot of health workers like yourself who have a passion and have something that they feel that they can add to different areas of either health workforce education or practice or even policymaking. So I think it'd be really interesting to know from what, what your what your work life looks like at the moment um, and how that may impact on someone listening to this who wants to do something different with their own career.
0: (laughs) I think that's a very difficult question in some way, because as you would know as well, David, being an entrepreneur, our lives are very, very crazy in some ways, and you can never have something fixed throughout. (laughs) So I'll try to answer that, I think, in a few different ways. I think for most people, um, for me, at least, you know, one of my, my main characteristics, I'd say, is that I'm a very curious person. And I think accepting the status quo is something that I never go with. It's like, why is it this way? Even if it has been done for years or generations, why does it happen? And I think that's the first thing, being curious about where you're working and engaging in what it is. I, identifying being an empath. So I'm always about how do you bring justice? How do you strive for fairness is the main thing. And the two things that keep me going is resilience and perseverance. And I'd say for anybody who's interested as a health worker, these are things you have to identify with. That Do you have this? Do you want to do it? Because it's going to be a hard road. And like one of the things I stated when I started off, you will have a lot of people questioning what it is. When you identify gaps that are there, And especially when they've been there for a long time, people are always like, what makes you think this has not already been solved or what makes you think this is really a gap? So you really have to believe in yourself and keep pushing for it, you know, till the time is right. So I would really say that when, you know, for health warriors have identified a gap and they think it is keeping at it, you will, you know, have a lot of resistance. You'll get people who will not believe in it, but just to keep moving forward with that, I think that would be the main advice. And then, you know, I you know, and there are levels. You have the local level, you have the national level, you have the international level. I think any level that you can engage on is, is fine. It doesn't really matter. And it can be simple things like even as pharmacists, like when I worked as a pharmacist, because I believed in universal healthcare, one of the things was volunteering at a free clinic it's from there, you really get all these lessons, you learn all this experience, and then you can take it to shape policies. I think engaging with the legislators, engaging on workforces, how do you, you know, get those voices hard? How do you document things? So one of the things, this is maybe very, is the abuse and violence that we see in healthcare settings. When I practiced as a pharmacist in a community setting, it's it's something that happens day to day. And I think I never questioned in some sense, I knew this happened. We have a 1-800 number that reports incidences when patients have you know customer issues. We don't have a 1-800 number for pharmacists to say, this is what happened today. This is what, you know, and, and that's why we don't have data. I remember when we did this research, and I know Inwa also was very you know, interested in safety, was like, where do you get this data from? Because it's not there. So I think even the day to day things we do, I think is more of documenting. And I think when I came across, um, you know, you were the first person I contacted. I met Matthew later on. But I, you know, what what struck me was that's it. How do you breach education and practice? Because this is something that starts right from when you're in school and putting that thinking in there. So I I think there's a lot of levels to be able to influence it right from when we're students to, you know, practicing and being, you know, an expert or even in many ways to really bring our lived experiences, to make it documented, to communicate among ourselves. I think that's another thing that's come about with the pandemic. We're better able to talk to people. We're better able, I've been seeing face groups that are supportive of what the work practices are, what people were scared of talking about. We have had legislation change in the U.S. in some states where health workers now can share their realities with social media, not only with their employers when it's in the interest of public safety. So I think we're seeing a lot of things coming together. But I'd say in any place you are, you can make change. Mm,
1: I agree. I agree. I- Certainly agree, and obviously from my own experience that you mentioned there, um, that's that chimes with with what what I've gone through and and what I hope to achieve. And obviously, with Inworm, when we have a number of you know primarily educators and academics um, who will be listening to this and who are involved in our membership, what would you say to them in terms of education if they're listening? to this podcast and they're, they're passionate and, and they're engaged and they find the, the topic interesting and they think, how can I put this into my curriculum? How can I make sure that this is at the, at the forefront of what I do? What, 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 would, what advice would you give to them?
0: I think, you know, of course, the students are future practitioners. So really making them aware of what they face is very important and what the reality is. I think when we did the research for the abuse and violence, one of the things we always found was that people didn't know they were going to face it till their first internship, maybe when somebody threw a bottle at them or, you know, cursed them out. So I think actually preparing students for this and the best way to engage is if you are the good thing, at least in many professions that people are practitioners also teach. I think, Hithan, you are a great example of that. (laughs) So you bring back the lessons. And I think I would say certainly engage with the Health Law Institute. That would be one thing. would love to hear your voices. If we can influence it, if we can come out and talk to practitioners or students about it. But the other thing is, you know, making sure students know what to expect in a job making sure they know how to protect their rights making sure their employer really gives them employment contracts that serve their p- purpose where they can really voice their opinions and also advancement in their careers which include you know being able to contribute to policy changes and being able to speak up for public safety so i think those are the four things we should be making our um, students Conscious of. The other thing that has really come up, and this is an area we're working on, it's still very new. You know, it's like as pharmacists and as many health workers, we come out and we, we have a code of ethics for a profession. One of the things that was never really looked at as much is what is the duty to self of the health worker? We always think of the duty to the patient. But how do you protect yourself and take care of yourself? And the pandemic with the burnout we're seeing, the mental health impacts that were even there pre-pandemic, and now it's even worse, is what do you think as a student? Do you think about that? Like for the Pharmacy Code of Ethics, I was actually very surprised in the US, we have nothing for duty to self. You do have this in the American Nursing Association, but nothing in the, you know, and So really start getting them to think. And I think we need to incorporate this as part of a curriculum and letting health workers take care of themselves. That's the first way, you know, that's, I think, the first part of the rights thing. Like, how do you help other people if you are not in the right frame of mind, that right, you know, health and you don't have your own rights respected?
2: Definitely something that is cyclical. When you are inside that healthcare environment, you then start seeing any pitfalls, but also then what you can do about them as well. Previously, when you're, you know, you're maybe applying for these courses, you're just looking at the rosy side of things, aren't you? I want to help everybody. I want to be the one that solves everyone's problems. But then once you get inside a career and you start working within it, you start realising that there's much more to it and there's many more facets to this. It's not just those external aspects that you need to look at, but also within yourself, within your team. So we're talking about healthcare professionals, but that also expands out to all the supporting staff as well. So you might have admin staff that are involved in there. You'll have dispensing staff within a pharmacy. I know we keep coming back to pharmacy because that's our background. But, you know, even within a family practitioner's medical practice, You've got the the reception staff and all the admin staff behind that all need to work together and pulling towards that same goal. If you've got one person within that team affected, it affects everybody else and therefore it's going to affect patient care. And when I was looking at it from my point of view as a practicing pharmacist, I was very much in that sense that I wanted to go and give back and Share what I have learned from my practice back to students that will then go and learn and be able to, you know, again, spirally enhance what I teach them to then teach the next generation as well. And I think that is kind of generational teaching, not just healthcare teaching that we do there. So it's, it's really important that as practitioners, we then dive back in and help everybody out as much as we possibly can.
1: Yeah, and I think I actually have something. So to to move it away from pharmacy (laughs) slightly, I have some experience. I used to be a risk manager um, in a large uh, hospital. In um, in the UK in the NHS, and I, I must admit, I, I really wish I, I had some some extra training. Whether that be uh, through the masters that I took in healthcare management, which led me into this role, or whether it was through some sort of CPD um, provided by the trust or an external provider on legal issues, because as a risk manager, I was I was going to speak to these you know the, the healthcare workforce and the healthcare professionals who had often gone through these difficult challenging aspects uh, of their job which required a legal eye so to speak for want of a better word Um, and I wish I had some of that training to be able to provide that support service Um, because from my own experience unless it got to a certain level and that level was quite bad it wouldn't be dealt with by the 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 legal representatives within the trust. It would have to be quite bad before it got to that point. Um, So I think even from from an admin point of view or a management point of view, it would have been so valuable for me to receive some form of training on this as well.
2: Well, I think from the kind of point of view of Health Law Institute as well, you guys have grown so much already but have you got a plan to grow this even further do you have a 10 year plan a 5 year plan anything else that you you'd like to to push on with with the health law institute
0: well the overarching vision for the health law institute is that you know all health workers would be supported and motivated to provide care commensurate with their skills in safe environments under decent working conditions and empowered to be true stakeholders in the development of sustainable healthcare systems. So I think the two crucial points that I was talking about is having the dignity for the health workers and making sure they engage as equal stakeholders in the policy. But, you know, like on a general basis for personal and a professional philosophy of mine is always about engaging in the process instead of the illusion of reward. I think that's how I always work. So to me, what's important for the Health Law Institute, not only in what we achieve, but also in the people that work with us, is to build a culture of respecting health worker rights. It's to, you know, is to understand that these challenges will shift over time, one to the other. But if we can build this culture through the people that we work with and actually have health worker rights activists, this is what's most important, I feel. Um, And this is what I aspire to do. So a lot of interns or volunteers, we even take in, you know, a lot of people, we're all patients. So we understand that part very well. And I, with my time, when I engage with them, by the time they leave or by the time they get onto something, my goal is that when they go out, they'll be lifelong health worker (laughs) advocates. You know, I think that's my main thing. And I'm really hoping that's where we get to, you know, evidence has always shown that when you have inadequate investment in the health workforce, you have uncoordinated piecemeal or even stopgap solutions for a little time. It looks like you're improving, you know, there's transient improve in patient quality of care, but you know, in the long run, it breaks down. So I think that's really the goal. I'm really hoping we, you know, we position ourselves in where we're a trusted organization from. Not only health workers, but also their advocates, even patient advocates that look into you and we can all come together in making that change. And, you know, f- for me, that was why the way I have positioned both Health Law Institute and personally is really belonging to organizations we believe in and we see, you know, kind of synergy. So INWA is one of them. I really think you guys are doing a phenomenal job. When I reached out to David, I was like, wow, there's somebody else that's, you know, kind of thinking about these things and really has that attitude, really just jumping in when you see it. So I think that was so wonderful organization. I'm always very happy to be part of it, and I look forward to the things you work on. The other one that we're part of is the Health Workers for All Coalition. I think just coming together, bringing all those issues is very important to me. I work with, I recently I'm on the Pharmacy Task Force of the American Public Health Association, and we're looking at system-mediated errors, in pharmacy settings. And the other thing that I I love doing is encouraging other entrepreneurs. So with the new enterprise forum, I kind of coach start, you know, new entrepreneurs and getting their pitches ready. So I think it's all together. So both my profession and personal lives is almost merged to get HLI to where we'd like to be.
1: That's really fascinating um, and I think will be very inspiring for a lot of people listening to this. So, for those who are interested um, and want to engage with the Health Law Institute, um, where can they go to find out more?
0: Certainly, our website, so www.healthlawinstitute.org. They can reach out to me directly. I'd love to. and If they reach out to you know where to direct them. <laughs> so and then we're always on twitter or facebook or linkedin you can find us on any of those
2: and so smita you guys have got a podcast as well haven't you of your own um, which is really good so that's a, <laughs> a great way for for people to get understanding what health law institute is all about and how they can get involved with with you guys
0: Definitely, and we'd love to have you know you on it. That was kind of where it started the conversation because we have the sh- you know experiences I think that are shared of starting an organization and how to go at the the challenges of it, the difficulties, and and how you know you how great you feel when you actually succeed at doing things. So we'd love to have you on it as well. And you know, while I'm here, I want to give a shout out to my teammates, which we cannot be without. So that's really cool.
1: Yeah, and we'd we'd love to be um, a guest on the podcast as well. I'm not sure, not sure how I'd cope in the hot seat, but um, Susan Mitter, you've been a fantastic guest. Thank you so much for your time. Um, and uh, yes, we hope to see everyone again very soon. Thank you and goodbye.
3: This podcast was brought to you by the International Network for Health Workforce Education. INWA is a multi-stakeholder, interprofessional network aiming to improve the education and training provided to health professionals globally. We promote online knowledge sharing, run academic events and participate in research projects. You can join our network completely free by visiting www.inwa.org. You can follow us on Twitter at inwa underscore network and please share this episode with your friends and colleagues. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Google, iTunes, or Spotify. And if you enjoyed it, leave us a positive rating. Casting the Network is co hosted by Hit and Meetha and David Smith, and produced and edited by Hit and Meetha. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. See you next time.